0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bible Study Time. Here this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to come together and sit still for a few minutes and listen to see what the Word of God will give to us today. I'm in the middle of a rainy day up here in Virginia, and a rainy day I always thought was a good day to do a Bible study. It takes away some of the dismal dreariness of an old rainy day, if you can get together with each other and study the Word of God. Or by yourself, just just to relax and take some deep breaths and just enjoy sitting still. That's (laughs) that's something to be said for that, truthfully, today. But I've been uh, given a topic to talk about for a few times and I'm happy to do that. The topic we're going to think about and discuss over the next times is the asc- ascension of the Lord, the, his ascension into heaven. We're going to just put our minds around that and look at what the Bible says about it. And don't worry about being right about what you think about it, because everybody I've known has some different opinion about it. So. You might as well have one, too. Everybody's got different ears and different opinion about it. But we're going to look at some of the opinions about the ascension of the Lord and, and read some texts together. First, uh, I'd like to pray uh, just for a minute with you. The, the church has a special day set aside every year called Ascension Day. And one of the Sundays. Uh, in and around Easter. You'll have an Ascension Day. And this is the prayer for that day. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty God, that like as we do believe thine only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into the heavens, So we may also, in heart and mind, also ascend with him, and with him continually, live with him who lives and reigns with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, in a world without end. Amen. Amen. Prayer for Ascension Day in the life of the church. Well, thinking about the church and all uh, one of the great preachers of the, of the church Billy Graham I, lo- I love Billy Graham he did now but, but he was such a great preacher an evangelistic preacher but one of the things that I remember he said I don't know where it's written down but I remember that Billy Graham said that ascension the ascension of the Lord is one of the doctrines which we need to consider more He thought it was essential to the life of the church that everything revolved around the fact that Christ went from the earth to the heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Now, how he got there will will, will, uh, busy us for a long time. But the fact is, that's what happened. It's this flip from the earth, the ministry of Jesus, to go up into heaven. Sit at the right hand of God and be the judge of the universe. I, I think that's powerful and so did Billy Graham. And he, if you notice, you remember his preaching. He had a big old flapping Bible. He had the biggest Bible any man I ever saw in the world. It just took up an acre of ground. And he <laughs> and, and he'd hold it out and he'd say you must come to Jesus. You know I mean? And he was firm about the fact that you surrender everything and, and and come to Jesus. And the way that he saw that necessary was in the fact that the Lord was no longer just just a baby in a manger, but he was the ascended Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Master, see? And so everything now was impingent upon what you did at that moment when Billy Graham called you, called you, and he wanted you to come, and he'd there Old George Reverend Shea would sing, you know, he Just as I am without one plea, but that my God. And that people would just begin to break. You could see them breaking. And they would come out in the strangest places. Young people would come. And they would come one at a time. And then then droves of them would come to the central message that Jesus is Lord. Now, ascension makes that possible. <laughs> if Jesus didn't ascend to heaven, well, he'd just be a great philosopher. He'd be a good one, but he'd only be that. But no, his, his mystery is real so much greater than that. Now this, this is the work of the church. The word for work in the church is liturgy. It's a liturgy. A church with no liturgy is, is not much. Don't do any work of worship. Worship is not a, a, a sweet little thing you play every once in a while just to make you happy. Worship is work. If you're going to do it right, you've got to work at it. Work, 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 work. And n- not so that it makes you boring and mean, but that it gives you joy and peace. And a part of the work of the liturgy of the church is the ascension. A church that doesn't go down and talk about that once a year is, in fact, not able to to grasp Jesus entirely, see. So that's what we want to think about and and talk about. Now, we we don't know what to do with this. Most of us in the church today, we we haven't forgotten it. We come across it every now and then, but we just don't dwell on it much. And I'm grateful to the ministry here for asking me to cover it too, because kind of like everybody else, we I, I don't I don't hardly know what to do with it either, but. I know and can read people that do. So what we do normally when we don't, when we don't know what to do with something, what we normally do is we don't do very little with it. <laughs> we do very little with it. You're going to find a tough time trying to find sermons on the ascension. There's just not that many of them, not that many teachings on it. Although the teachings that are on it are strong and complex and vital. Uh, in church history, if you study St. Thomas Aquinas, he was a theologian who lived a long time ago, but a great influencer of the Roman Catholic tradition. Uh, he wrote a long pile of books called Summa Theologica about everything. And this, he claims that the ascension is caught up in the salvation, just like I presented it to you a while ago, that you can't be saved apart from the ascension. The very fascinating thing, how he locates that right there. And uh, Roman Catholic priests have to understand and study the works of St. Thomas Aquinas. In fact, they won't let them go until they know it backwards and forwards. And you're going to have a hard time if you're going to argue theology with a Roman Catholic priest because they cut the teeth on St. Thomas Aquinas. Tough stuff. So, all I'm saying to you is, good luck on this journey with me. I'm gonna tell you a little bit now about. I'm gonna take you to a scripture in Luke, and we're gonna look at that for a moment. Uh, we're going back to the first, the uh, second chapter of Luke. It's gonna read something to you. you. You're gonna say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with transfiguration, but it really does. To me, it does. If you look at Luke chapter two, I'm gonna start reading about. Verse 28 or 9 about Simeon and taking the baby Jesus in the temple when his mother brought him there for dedication. Remember, there were two old people there. Simeon came out of the woodwork and so did Anna. She came out of there. And we get there Simeon was there. Took the child in his arms, praising God. This is Simeon taking baby Jesus. Well, he was a little bigger than that then. But he he took him in his arms. Praising God, Lord, he said, now I can die content. For I have seen him as you promised me I would. I have seen the Savior you have given the world. He is the light that will shine upon the nations. He will be glory. Of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary just stood there marveling. At what was being said about Jesus. Simeon blessed them. But then said to Mary. A sword shall pierce your soul. For this child. Shall be rejected by many in Israel. And this is their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy. Of many others. And the deepest thoughts of many hearts. Shall be revealed. Anna, a prophetess, was also there in the temple that day. She was the daughter daughter of Phanuel of the Jewish tribe of Asher, and was very old, for she'd been a widow for eighty-four years, following seven years of marriage. She never left the temple, but stayed there night and day, worshipping God and praying, walking, fasting. She came along, just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she also began thanking God and telling everyone in Jerusalem who had been awaiting the coming of the Savior that the Messiah had finally arrived. There ends the reading. Here's what I want to point out that I think is significant. These individuals are just what I like to think of as spiritual people. Every little church has got one or two. You know, they love the Lord so much that they won't go home. You know, (laughs) if you leave them behind and tell them to turn the lights out, the lights will be on forever because they'll just stay there. They love, they love the Lord. And they were really looking for something special to come into the world. Now, here he is. And what does Simeon do? He takes him up in his arms. Now, this dedication, I'm given to understand. Took place 40 days after, sometime after Jesus was, was born, sometime in that vicinity there. And the Lord, the Lord God Almighty gives up baby Jesus to the earth. When, when, when Simeon takes him in his arms, it, a, a, a mystical transfer takes place in my mind. From the arms of the Father God to the arms of the old Father human on earth, that is that, that has no claim on righteousness other than that he walks with God and there is no stronger claim than that. And he, he receives, he receives into the temple the infant baby child who has come to do this work. And right there with him, right there beside him, perhaps even holding the child herself is Anna. He said, oh, Anna says to him, this is the one, this is the one This is the one for whom we have all been waiting. All right. Now, this is the beginning, I think, of Jesus' ministry in the world. In the sense that he is here, having been passed from heaven to earth. Heaven to earth as the child of God. So, we can read... In the gospel of Luke at the end. Then Jesus led them out along the road to Bethany. And lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. And then began rising into the sky. Went on into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem. Filled with. Mighty joy, and we're continually in the temple praising God. Oh, isn't that a wonderful text? Isn't that a wonderful? That's how Saint Luke sees the ascension. Very simple details of it there for us to consider, but it's the Easter period, it's the resurrection period. Sometimes we, you know, we don't hardly even think about the ascension. We go from from Easter morning to Pentecost, as if we are just going down the road with no seatbelts on. That we just, we just, it's a, the whole point of the gospel just goes right by us, goes over our head. In the middle between the resurrection, or more or less the middle, and the coming of the Holy Ghost, there is this moment when Jesus ascends into heaven. So, we're going to consider that. But it's interesting that the church celebrates ascension 40 days from the resurrection. Just as we look to the dedication, as 40 days. 40, 40. In the middle there is the Son of God's ministry upon the earth. Which we focus on right now. And so think a lot about, but here we have the facts of the story, being that the Son of God is passed into the world, into the arms of Simeon from the Lord God Almighty. He begins his earthly ministry, and then again he is passed from the earth back into the arms of God. And God receives him and sets him at the right hand of God in the heavens on his rightful throne. Do you follow me there when I make that transition out of the arms, back into the arms? It's like nothing in the whole Bible to think about. The only, and it happens again, if you continue to look at, uh, the Acts tradition, which is of course a further tradition of, uh, Well, the Luke-Acts tradition, we've talked about it before. It's it's indicative of the fact that Luke wrote Acts. We know he he wrote it because he, he claims that he does in the very beginning. He says, my friend who loves God in my first letter, I told you about Jesus' life and teachings and how he returned to heaven. See that first thing in Acts, he returned to heaven. He didn't. Go down to 7-Eleven and, and, you know, get a big gulp and sit on the corner. He went back to heaven. And that's important for this Bible. Why have we forgotten about it so much? And after giving his chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit, during the 40 days of his crucifixion, after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time actually alive, and proved to them in many ways that it was really he himself they were seeing. And on these occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In one of these meetings, he told them not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came unto them in fulfillment of the Father's promise, a matter he had previously discussed with them, John baptized you with water, he reminded them, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. And another time he appeared to them and asked them, Lord, are you going to free Israel from Rome now and restore us to an independent nation? The father sets those dates, he replied, and they're not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect to the people in Jerusalem throughout all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth about my death and my resurrection. It was not long afterwards that he rose into the sky and disappeared into a cloud, leaving them staring after him as they were straining their eyes for one one another one more glimpse. Suddenly two white robed men were standing there among them and said, "Men of Galilee, why are you standing here, staring at the sky? Jesus has gone away to heaven, and some day, just as he went, he will return." There reading of the opening chapter from the beginning of the book of Acts. Now here we have this wonderful story again coming back at us of Jesus rising into the heaven. Now, where he when he is lifted up. With the, suddenly standing nearby are these two men in white. You know, these two strange angels standing by in white. I, I would sort of submit to you that I'm of the opinion that they may be the same two that appear at the grave. But one of the head and one of these feet, uh, because they ask the same kinds of questions. They're like sentinels there, you know, <laughs> at the grave. They say, what are you looking for? <laughs> For goodness sake, he, he's not here. He's gone. They, they go in there and say, oh, somebody stole his body. They say, no, no. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. He's not here. He's gone. He's gone. And here again, these two standing by, the startled and puzzled disciples, are looking up to the sky. Looking up to the sky saying, where in the world has he gone? The last thing I saw was a cloud. He's gone. And the two men in white up here, the two angels, and say, what in the world are you all looking up in the sky for? <laughs> and they say, well, we're looking for Jesus. Somebody... No, no, <laughs> he's not there. He's not there. Go and do what he told you to do. Go on, get. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. Wonderful story. Of the, of the book of Acts. And the, the, the scholars, not scholars, but well, yes, them too, sometimes call call this the passages of the dangling feet. The dangling feet. Because in the world of art, this is one of the most popular subjects to be painted. It's all over the chapels of the churches in the, in Europe. It's the great artists that each one visited this. Even Salvador Dali, the great, uh, Impressionistic uh, modern painter paints Jesus and the dangling feet. Only if you look at Salvador Dali's artistic work of of the Ascension, you're looking at Jesus' feet. You look right up from the soles of his feet, and you see his hands and arms outstretched like he's on a cross and he's kind of going up to heaven. And you you get a, a bird's eye view of it from underneath, looking up toward the ascending Jesus as Salvador Dali. You can look him up if you want to. But uh here we have this period of time now. The church, of course, is born and the Holy Spirit comes. and We like that. I mean, you could set up a tent there and talk about that for days. But we're not on that subject. We're, we're working along here trying to figure out uh, where we can come to some idea of the of the work of god if you look at acts chapter seven again we're going to get a uh a look here at the death of stephen chapter seven if you look at verse uh 51 to 60 you know stephen was one of the early christians who was martyred he felt the taste of of suffering in such a way And we have a sermon in here, or his defense, where he talks about all manner of things about how the Lord has taken care of Israel and will take care of him at the end. He turns on his detractors with this word. He says, at verse uh, chapter seven, verse fifty-one. For those of you that may be following along, Stephen. It says, you stiff-necked heathen, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? But your fathers did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. Or they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. Yes, and you deliberately destroyed God's laws. Though you've received them from the hands of the angels. The Jewish leaders were stung and furious at Stephen's accusation, ground their teeth in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened in Jesus, the Messiah standing beside God at his right hand. Then they mobbed him, putting their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice with their shouts, dragged him out on the city to stone him. The official witnesses, the executioners, took off their coats and laid them at the feet feet of a young man named Paul. And as the murderous stones came hurtling at him, Peter Simon prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. This martyr we we read now, we come to a close on that section of scripture. But we are reminded that at the moment of Stephen's death, somehow God pulls back the curtain between heaven and earth and gives him this vision of Jesus. Not sitting, but standing up. Oh, my God, man. (laughs) You Got him on his feet. The judge of the universe. Because what's going down is a border him. He's ready, man. He's standing. I see him standing at the right hand of God, says Stephen. Oh, that makes the, 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 the people so mad. Makes them so angry and fierce. Because who would say that a God would be opposed to his own people? Oh. Jesus don't get that. Jesus is in another, another world. Well, there we have it. I want you to know that we are going to be visiting this subject probably the next time I'm with you. And I enjoy this subject, as you can probably tell. I enjoy talking about a topic thing like this. And, uh, we looked at some of the scriptures today. There are many, many, many more. Don't be discouraged <laughs> all through the New Testament and some of the Old Testament or to relate to this Ascension experience. Uh, I'm going to talk some next week a little bit speculatively. We're going to look about some of the speculative theological approaches to the Ascension. That sounds like a big word, but it really isn't. isn't It It just means we're going to look at it closer, look at it closer in terms of its theology. And we're going to think a little bit about our theology, what kind of theology we have and how we work that. And uh I hope you see the relationship between Jesus and and his coming and taking up in the arms of Simeon and then him taken up in the arms of God. I think that's a wonderful connection to be made there. A mystical one. Well, listen, it's been a joy being with you this morning, and I hope you have the grandest day you've ever had. I hope you just enjoy your day and Go from here and bless somebody. Be a blessing to somebody, I pray. Bye-bye. See you next time, okay? Bye-bye.